if not checking before you start, right? Hey, that's better. How is everybody today? Tired. Hmm. Death was arrested and then my life began. A new life, a, a, a clean life, a, a pure life. You know, uh, Jonah's a prophet of God. But, uh, you know, I, sh I should have put it up there, but there's a VeggieTales movie about Jonah. Who, who has seen it? Yeah. Uh, God is a God of second chances. Right in the middle of the movie, he's in the fish. They're singing this song to him. Salvation is from the Lord. God is a God of second chances. Um, I didn't know, know it when I put the songs together and gave them to Bob, but um, they're songs that some of them are ones that the, that the kids asked for, and a couple of them are ones that, that uh, I'm like, yeah, that's a good song. Let's sing that. And man, it, it's awesome to watch God work in his spirit and how that all fits together and, and, and uh, it comes together that way because it goes right with this message. So, so let's think for a minute. Israel and King David, Saul, who later became Paul, Peter, Samson, what do they have in common? Does anybody, what do they have in common? Up. What's that? Messed up. Messed up. Yeah, that's one thing. What's that? They ran from God first. Uh, but they all got a second chance. Because God is a God of second chances. Uh, King David was a man after God's own heart, yet he fell into adultery and murder. Uh, God sent a prophet, Nathan, to challenge him and to offer him a second chance. David repented and was given the promise of a king always sitting on his throne. Saul was a Christian killer and persecutor. Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. Paul Saul excuse me, responded with repentance and Paul was born. An apostle and a great teacher of the word having written two-thirds of the New Testament. Peter denied Jesus. His Messiah three times. Feeling ashamed and defeated, he ran away. He hid in the upper room with the rest of the disciples. Only later to be found by Jesus, the one Peter denied, and restored Peter to a greater calling. A calling of building a body of believers that to this day we are all a part of. Israel had chance after chance to repent, which they did, and they fell back into sin each and every time. They still have a chance to repent. God is not done with Israel yet. They are still awaiting their king. Samson let, let his pride get in the way. He was, it was stripped from him along with his strength, but God allowed it all to be restored to him as he asked in a, in a last uh, chance, a second chance to wipe out some more Philistines. And of course, we get to Jonah, our character. We're looking at the book of Jonah, chapter 2. If you turn there and, and prepare, that would be great. You know, he was told to go to Nineveh, right? Uh, go to Nineveh and do my work. Preach against them and their wickedness. Jonah fled to Tarshish on a ship, which was... So, so we studied Jonah in, in Sunday school. Nineveh is 500 miles 
from where Jonah had to go. Tarshish was 2,500 miles. So he not only tried to like go a little distance, he tried to get five times as far away from where he was supposed to go. I mean, he really wanted to get away from God's calling on his life and where he was supposed to go. So as he's on the ship, we all know what we've been through the last two weeks in, in chapter one, God brought a storm about. The sailors were afraid. Jonah was asleep below deck. I mean, how do you sleep in a storm except for that you're at peace with where you're at and don't even know it? You know, oftentimes uh, from crime shows we've watched, and, 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 and I think it's probably true, although some of it may not be, but, but they say when a criminal is guilty and they finally get caught, they're the only ones that can truly sleep in the middle of an interrogation because they're at rest, they're at peace. I think that's where Jonah was at. He knew he was wrong, but, but he knew he was getting away and he, and he was okay with it. So he was asleep below the deck in a storm. And it's a storm that about wrecked them and, and, and took them apart. In the end, we know from last week, Jonah was thrown overboard. God caused a fish to swallow him and he was in the belly of the fish three days. The storm stopped immediately and the sailors right away praised God. Well, I'm going to ask a question, but we know the answer to it. Will Jonah get a second chance like Peter and Saul and Samson and David and the Israelites? Well, of course, we, we, know, the end of, we know the end of the book, right? Uh, we, we know that Jonah gets a second chance. He, he, gets, he, gets to, he gets to go to Nineveh and does what is right. So would you read in Jonah with me this morning? Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It says this, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and, I, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Let's pray. God, um, right in the middle of, of the disobedience of Jonah and, and, and just... I don't even know what to call Jonah's heart in, in, in chapter 4, but um, unloving, I guess. You have placed in your word this really this beautiful psalm that, that, that Jonah has written um, that speaks of your grace and your goodness and your salvation. So I pray, Lord, as, as we talk about this this morning, that our hearts would be drawn to you. Um, that we would see our distress for what it is and, and learn from, from Jonah. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
Man, it's really a beautiful prayer of thanksgiving. In fact, if, if we didn't have Jonah written at the top, we might think it's a psalm. Uh, I, I think Psalm 16 that Pastor David read this morning fits beautifully with that. And in fact, it wouldn't surprise me if, if Jonah had that in mind somewhat when he wrote this and, 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 and prayed his prayer to God. It, it's a, a prayer of thanksgiving and admission of God's sovereignty and goodness and grace. And most importantly, God's salvation. We even, get a hint, we even get a hint of Jonah's heart to go and do as God asked of him. Might even dare say a little bit of repentance. But let's, let's tear this apart a little bit. He says in verse 2, In my distress and deep in the realm of the dead, in my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. Deep in the realm of the dead I called for help you, and you listened to my cry. Deep in his distress, he prayed to God and God answered him. But, but the, the, the question then begs, well, what really is the distress that he's talking about? Uh, um, are we talking about the ship? Are we talking about the waves? Well, Jonah really gives us insight into his distress. God hurled him into the depths, it tells us, and the heart of the seas. The waves overwhelmed him and overtook him. He literally sank beneath the waves and was being choked out by seaweed. He was drowning to death. I don't know about you. I'm not sure which way. <laughs> Suffocation, drowning, I, I don't know. I don't know what would be worse, tortured to death. At any rate, this is the distress that, that, that Noah is in, or Jonah is in. Um, he drifted down to the roots of the mountains, he says, imprisoned in the earth whose gates lock shut forever. I mean, he's in serious trouble. He's in serious distress. But God, Jonah gives God the credit for hurling him into the sea. See, that, that's interesting because we think, well, the sailors did it. But in God's sovereignty, he used the sailors to fulfill his plan. As he does in our lives, he uses us to fulfill his plan. So Jonah gives God that credit. He says, you're the one that did it. You're the one that really hurled me into the sea. Uh, you used the hands of the sailors. You, God, caused me to be thrown into the teeth of the storm and the waves that buried me. He recognizes here the power of God and his plan at work, a plan used to distress, to move Jonah to do what was right and seek God. Now, I want to talk a little bit about distress here. Uh, many of us have been in distress in our years. Um, some of us are in distress now, and, and we don't know why. Some of us are in distress just as Jonah is in distress. We're in distress because there is sin in our lives. Because just as Jonah, we too are running from God and what God desires for our plan, for our home, for our, our marriage. There's distress in our lives clearly because of sin, but we are ignoring it just as Jonah. And with that distress comes a storm. A storm that God moves in our lives. He throws us overboard. We're drowning in the distress to the point that we wish things would just stop. We don't know where to go next. This is the distress Jonah is talking about. 
This is the reason for his distress. This isn't a distress like Job faced. You know, we, we covered Job uh, a while back, uh, earlier this year, actually this summer. And his distress was not because of sin. It wasn't because of anything he had done. It was just simply because God allowed the, the, the enemy to pursue Job and inflict pain and a heartache on him. We don't really have a reason why. And yet, both distresses show God's sovereignty in the lives of those where the distress is at. But here's the cool part of this story. As, as Jonah is thrown in and in this distress, he recognizes and responds to God. He recognizes God's hand at play here. You know, I, I don't know what was going through Jonah's mind. I don't know if he thought 2,500 miles or 2,000 miles was going to make a difference in whether God would find him or not. Surely not. He knew the Psalms. He knew Psalm 139, that he couldn't, he couldn't run from God, yet he did. And how many times do we do that? The, 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 the devil, the enemy is great at picking apart at us and telling us, oh, you can, you can push that aside. It's not a big deal. You can, put, you can go there. It's, not a, it's okay. You see, he does a great job as he did in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 when he told Adam and Eve, oh, you don't need to listen to God. What God is telling you is not totally true. He really just doesn't want you to be like him and know, and know things, which was true. God did not want us to know about evil. He does the same thing today. He wants us to push aside the things in our lives that, that need to be taken care of. And for Jonah, it was going and speaking to the Ninevites. Now, one of the commentaries I read, as you look at Jonah's life, uh, there were a couple of prophets before him. Hosea was one of those. And Hosea had predicted that the Ninevites would come and, and, and take Israel captive. And, and that commentary said that maybe this fe- that, that Jonah feared that he would play into that hand of the Ninevites coming and, being, and, and taking, uh, um, taking Israel. And he didn't want to be a part of that. So that was part of the reason they say that maybe he didn't want to go. I don't know. Um, you know, in the Jonah movie, they're called fish slappers. Those fish slappers, they say. Maybe he didn't want to be slapped by fish. I don't know. It, it's, I don't think it's any coincidence in the movie that, that the Ninevites worship, um, worship fish and, and they even, to see if, if Jonah has been in the great fish as he claims, they tell, him, they tell the guy to sniff him. Well, I mean, think about it. I mean, verse 10 tells us that the fish basically spit up, puked out Jonah. He couldn't have smelled great. Couldn't have looked great. Probably a little green or white. I don't know what you would look like. Um, a little fishy, I'm sure, or a lot fishy in this case. Nonetheless, we see Jonah in great distress. And Jonah recognizes and responds in verses 4 and 7 through 9. He says, Jonah recognizes he is out of God's favor. I mean, this is where we're at. Uh, He no longer is in God's presence. I will look to you, God, he says. I will come back to you. I remembered you, O Lord, as I was dying. I mean, he's literally drowning. 
And he's, he's grasping for any prayer that he can come to. My guess is it was God save me. I'm going to die. I remembered you, O Lord, as I was dying. I earnestly prayed to you in your place, in your holy temple, God. In your dwelling place. Jonah recognized the uselessness of worshiping dead gods or false idols. He says that all that to do this, turn away from God and his love. You know, I think we find ourselves sometimes going towards false idols. And we totally push away God's love. We, we find things to put into our lives to push away God's working in our life because it's much easier to hold on to the old and to hold on to the past, especially the old life. And we turn away from God's love and God's presence. He says, in the end, Lord, I will offer sacrifices to you and I will follow through with the job you gave me to do. You know, we, we've talked about this and, and even the Bible study says that Jonah never really repents of his wrongdoing, except for, except for in verse 8, where he does say, I will follow through with the job you gave me. But, but he doesn't make it clear that he still doesn't believe the same thing. And we know if we look forward and we, and we read ahead that, that Jonah still really believes that, that God is going to, that he should destroy them. Um, he doesn't want God to save them. He says, I recognize God. I recognize Yahweh, that salvation comes from you and you alone. You are the Lord of salvation. So we've, we've worked through the first part of this, this passage, and, and it's been rather quick. And that's because I, I really, as I studied this week, I really sensed that we just really need to look at God's work in the story. Because it's really not so much about Jonah's distress as how God responded to Jonah. And really that's what this whole book is about. It, it is the story of God and God's sovereignty and God's salvation to his people. I mean, we could say all kinds of things about Jonah's distress. Really, I think we've probably said enough. Um, but in part, he caused his own distress because he chose to disobey God and go where God called him to go. He ran away from God and the message God wanted him to deliver to Nineveh. So here's my question about distress this morning. For all of us, is what kind of a storm do you find yourself in today? Do you feel yourself drowning? Does it feel as though your face is wrapped in seaweed and you cannot breathe? Have you stopped and asked God, God, is there something wrong in my life causing this storm and this time of distress? Now, not every bit of distress that we have in our lives is caused because of sin. But I think we need to stop and ask that question. God, is there disobedience in my life? Are we as a family going through the struggles we're going through because of disobedience in our lives? Because we refuse to let go of the very things that you call us out for. Or because we refuse to go where you want us to go and do what you want us to do. If you were thrown overboard, would the storm stop? Like it did for the sailors? 
and for Jonah? Like I said, that this isn't the same distress that Job was going through. This is solely caused because of Jonah's disobedience. Why not stop running? You know, in Job one or, or in, in Jonah one thirteen, I'm going to read that for us here. It says this. It says instead, even after Jonah, they're, they're like, "Hey, they know it's Jonah. They they've casted lots. They know it's Jonah. The lot fell to him, and he explained what he had done and, and why it's him. And and they said, so what do we got to do? He said, well, throw me overboard. Even after that, they they still tried to save him. It says in verse 13, Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. How many of us are just like that? We, We try and we try and we try to do everything we can. We we throw the cargo overboard. We we pray to other gods. We do everything in our power to save ourselves or even somebody else when the answer is very clear, throw him overboard. And we have record that as soon as he was thrown overboard, the storm quit. I I find it interesting, not really interesting, um, I find it right on cue with God that the actions of the sailors could not save Jonah or their own lives. Only through an act of God could they be saved, and can we be saved? Only through an act of God can our storm quit and our own repentance The sailors tried very, very hard to avoid throwing Jonah overboard. They tried to save him. Just as an example that our works cannot save us, nor can anyone else's work save us, the sailors could only be saved by God's grace. I mean, isn't that the title? Grace that is greater? God's grace is greater than anything. By definition, grace is unmerited favor. It's something that we do not deserve. Jonah honestly doesn't deserve God's grace. Neither do the Ninevites. I mean, that's what Jonah's thinking. Well, they don't deserve your grace. Those bunch of fish slappers. Those bunch of, of people that, that kill and murder, and they, they don't deserve your grace, God. So why am I going to go preach to them? They're just going to come murder us anyways. Have we disobeyed God? Are you disobeying God and running from the work he wants to do in and through you, in and through me? Asking these questions is hard because we don't always want to hear the answer. Sometimes the answer is yes. Very much you are running from me. And it takes an honest person to be willing to hear the the yes. One of the, the things long ago, as, as my wife and I uh, were young in our marriage, oh, probably six or seven years, I suppose, uh, our, our pastors put on a, a marriage conference. Um, and, and one of the things that our lead pastor said, he, he said, here's what you need to do. He gave us a list of things that the man is supposed to do and the woman is supposed to do. And then he said this, he said, You need to honestly sit 
every once in a while, say every six months, before your spouse and say, the man was supposed to provide, protect, nourish, and cherish. You look your wife in the eyes and say, honey, how am I doing at providing, protecting, nourishing, and cherishing? And sit there with open ears and an open heart and listen to what she has to say to you. Without rebuttal, without defense. See, that, that's how we need to be with God. So if there's storms in our lives, like I said, not all the storms are because of sin in our lives. But if we have storms in our lives, I don't think it's a bad practice to stop and say, God, is there, is there something sin-wise, disobedience-wise in my life that I need to take care of? Hopefully the answer is no. That would be the answer we want. Although maybe it makes it more difficult of the why for why we're going through the storm. Because then there's usually not a clear answer of why we're going through the storm, is there? Like Job didn't really have a clear answer. It's just, God, where are you? But honestly, I think this passage is, is a lot more about who God is and the work he's doing in this story. He is the one that wants to go offer grace to the Ninevites. And really, he's the only one that truly can. He's the only one that can offer the unmerited favor that they don't deserve. He's the only one that can offer them mercy and love and compassion. God is the one that would send Jonah when Jonah did not go. God chased after him and sought him out. Jonah did not seek after God. One of these songs we sang about talked about that. It talked about God coming after us and saving us. God caused the storm. He caused the waves. He caused the distress of Jonah because of Jonah's sin. He allowed Jonah to, be, to, to go to, to, to the roots of the mountains, to be wrapped up in seaweed, to, to suffocate. Why? To get Jonah's attention. To get our attention. All of this is in God's plan. It wasn't a shock to him, Jonah's answer. He already knew Jonah's heart and what Jonah was going to say. Right on time, tick, 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 God's plan unfolds. Never late, never early. He's always right on time. It wasn't a surprise a few weeks ago when Hamas attacked Israel. That wasn't a, a surprise to God. Always right on time. God's timing is perfect. God is the only one that, according to Jonah, drove Jonah out from the Lord's presence. It was his sin, his, his lack of obedience that God said, out of my presence you will be. A place where Jonah had no more close talks with God, kind of like Adam and Eve in the garden. They were cast out of the garden that gave them the perfection, that gave them the closeness to God. See, we too can leave a place of the presence of God. Yes, God is around us and, and in us as Christians. And yet we still can be just as far as Jonah is or was from God. A place where he lived in silence. Really, really hell on earth. 
Because that's what hell is, 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 is it's devoid of, of the still small voice of God. It's devoid of the conversations with God. His presence is still there because God is everywhere. But it's devoid of being able to have a conversation and relationship with God or anybody else. This is where Jonah was at. He was down deep in the depths of death. I hope and pray that nobody is that far out of the presence of God in this church or this family or whoever's listening online. But if you are, take courage, take heart in knowing that God gives second chances. To me, that's, that's what Jonah 2 is about, is the second chance that God is willing to give Jonah. If we don't accept God's grace and mercies and trust Jesus to take us to the Father, then we too will be cast out of the presence of God for all eternity. Jonah tells us that God heard him and he answered Jonah. He sent a great fish. As Jonah cried out to God in the ugliness of his sin and, his, and its consequences, God lifted up his ear to Jonah and saved him. In 6b, it says, but you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. And I love verse 9b in the New Living Translation. It says, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Do we recognize that Jonah, what Jonah has admitted? It is God alone that can and does save us. Him and him alone. It's nothing by an act that we can do that God saves us, but God himself is the God of salvation. For salvation is from the Lord alone. Nothing any of our friends can do for us. There's no sailors that can throw us overboard to save us. As far as they knew, he was lost. God is the one that brought the great fish and saved Jonah's life. Nobody else. God is the one that brings salvation to the world. Listen to Isaiah 45, 18 through 22 as I read it. For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Politicians don't declare what is right. The church doesn't necessarily declare what's right. The Lord himself in Isaiah just said in, 19, in 45.19b, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Not me, not Pastor David, not Pastor Michael, not the elders of the church. If what we are preaching and teaching does not come from the word of God, it may not be right. Because this is truth. This will tell you why you're going through your distress. It will evict the sin in your heart and your soul. Because this is God's written word to us. Verse 20 says, gather together and come, assemble 
you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. Interesting that Jonah spoke of that. Declare what is to be. Present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? Was it not I, Yahweh? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Our God is a living, breathing God. He resurrected his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. He is alive and well, sitting next to God. In Acts, in Acts 4, verses 8 through 12, we have this recorded for us. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but who God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And verse 12 says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind but which, by which we must be saved. You see, Jesus claimed to be God, having left his throne to become a man, Philippians 2 tells us. To offer himself as a sacrifice for us. The God of the universe, the creator, came to this earth I think, I, think that's, I think that's really why it was hard for the Israelites, the Pharisees, to understand when Jesus claimed to be God because, because in so many ways it seemed like God wouldn't be one that would come to the earth and walk among us, his creation. At least that's what I think they had in their heads I think sometimes we forget that, that God has walked the face of this earth. Psalm 139. You can turn there if you want with me as we read it. I want to read it with you. Um, I have a feeling Jonah had this in mind when he was going through what he was saying. It says this, Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. 
the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. Verses 23 and 24 say, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me that lead me in the everlasting way. I'm going to have the worship team go ahead and come up. Uh, there, there is no place that we can go that God cannot find us. He will pursue us. He uses whatever measures necessary to get our attention, to get us to change course. In Isaiah 45, 22, it was written to the nation of Israel, but it is true for you and I as well. Turn to God and be saved. Acts 4, 12 lays out the same by which we must be saved, Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said, Jesus answered his disciples as they were asking, how do we know the way? He says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The, the song that the, that the team is going to sing um, is really about God pursuing us and, and our identity in Christ and our identity in God. He loves you and he wants you.